Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 258, Death Doesn't Have to Be the End. This week we're discussing the premiere of The Fates, and season 5, episode 16 of Angel, Shells. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. The Fades. New show. New show. Uh, yeah, a new one. And actually, I, I quite enjoyed the first episode. Good. So I'm excited to, to see the rest. I, this is one that, like, I admit, and I may have said this before, wasn't even on my radar yeah. at all until you brought it up. So, um, definitely very interesting. And I know you've got some production notes to start out with, but just kind of wanted to yeah. open up and give my like high level, like, yeah, like it, it's a good one and, yeah. and I'm glad we're looking at it. Yeah. I wasn't on my radar until fairly recently. I certainly wasn't aware of it when it ran, um, which it, it, it premiered in the BBC on, uh, 2011. And then I guess was on BBC America in 2012. Um, okay. So I was definitely not aware of it at the time. Um, only in the last couple of years, I've heard of it as one of those, oh, this was really good when it was on, you know, it's a shame it didn't run for several seasons kind of things. Um, so so like, I kind of checked it out on the basis of that. And that's kind of why I threw it into the list of potential things we might want to discuss because... I also was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Not because I didn't think it would be good, but just because it completely flew under my radar. Um, so, sorry, were you starting to say something? I was going to say kind of like all of Tim Minear's. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Although I don't know if we can, if like I know his his tagline on Twitter is canceled again. Um but I don't know if like that still counts because after um, American Horror Story, sure, which has been a number of things, and now nine one one, which yeah. is uh, yeah. you know going on a couple seasons yeah. here. So. Yeah, yeah. Now that he hooked up with Ryan Murphy, he's um, right got some of the the gold dust is sort of spread to him and everything. Yeah, um, yeah. So right, this is one of those kind of little cult classics, I guess. Like, the people that saw it really liked it, but it didn't necessarily catch on as much. Um, but I thought it would be a fun one for us to talk about, and especially when we were looking for some shorter things. It seemed like it would fit the bill. Um, mm -hmm. So I do have a few production notes, because since it's only six episodes long, um, we probably won't have a ton of production notes each week. It's It's more about setting the scene, and then we'll just get into analysis and discussion for the weekly episodes. Um, so apparently this was originally titled Touch, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, you know, I don't think there's like any reason in the first episode that I can think of why that would be. So I, I kind of want to remember that and try to see if we can even figure out why it would have been called that. Um, or, or maybe that's why they changed the name. Or maybe they're, they're like, like Oh, this doesn't actually make any sense. Right. Like we had some obscure reason and then actually like that doesn't end up being relevant in the show. Um, so, because, so, well, but I want to come back to that because I do want to talk about the title of the show. Sure. Somewhere in all of this. And I don't okay. know if you have that like 
up front here maybe when we get to the mythology stuff i don't really so i'd be interested there there may be something out there where you can read thoughts of why it's you know what's the the thought process behind the title or the the term the fates but i don't have any notes handy to that so okay. we can just pretend that there isn't a real answer and speculate um okay um yeah so the creator writer of this series is Jack Thorne, who's a screenwriter and a playwright. And I think he's a pretty successful playwright in the UK, like pretty celebrated. Um, but he's written uh, a fair amount of TV. He began on Shameless and Skins, which were some pretty popular British shows. Um, there was a show called The Last Panthers that he wrote, which I think played over here. Might have been on Sundance or something like that. It was like a like a detective kind of international thriller sort of drama. Um, he wrote one episode of the Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams series, which was on Amazon. Um, the episode The Commuter, which uh, featured Timothy Spall. And um, infamously, depending on your point of view, he is the writer of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, um, which... Hmm. continues to be a source of bafflement to me um, because there there is so much talent behind that show and yet the <laughs> script is just an utter, utter mess. And um, this is just another example of why I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for those meetings to try to figure out how all these sane people uh, – thought, yeah, this is good. You know, like we're gonna, we're gonna put our names on this. Um, anyway, uh, it's just a, a strange thing. Cause like, this was a very popular, I mean, this wasn't maybe hugely popular, but this was very acclaimed. The fades was, and he's done other things that have been, you know, acclaimed. So he's a quality writer, you know, I don't know what the heck was going on with that show. But anyway, um, <laughs> It's just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> fodder for a future. Yeah. Uh, I, and I do, I, I know, I know. You have to, I have to see it. Everybody who's seen it says that it's worth seeing. But the script is an entirely different animal. Um, and that is the, what Jack Thorne was responsible for. So I would really, really like to hear what they're all thinking. But anyway. Um, sure. He has some really interesting projects and development though um Damien Chazelle who uh wrote and directed La La Land which um notably did not win the Oscar a couple of years ago <laughs> um famously lost its Oscar um he's working on a musical series for Netflix called The Eddie which Jack Thorne is writing um he also adapted Philip Pullman's His, His Dark Materials which is being produced by BBC and HBO. Um, so that's in the pipeline. And apparently in 2017, uh, Jack Thorne was announced as going to be rewriting the script for Star Wars Episode Nine. Um, but he was then subsequently replaced by J.J. Mm. Abrams and Chris Terrio. So he had, he had a little brief stint as a script doctor, it sounds like. And then... And then there was some 
reshuffling. So anyway, sure. So he's got a lot of interesting projects going on at the moment. Um, want to just quick mention that there are only two directors, um, both of which have a lot of experience in TV. Um, the first three episodes are directed by, uh, is it Farron? Maybe I wrote that name wrong. It's either Farron Blackburn or Darren Blackburn. Hold on. No, it is Farron. Okay. It's a strange name. Um, anyway, who directed... A few episodes of Doctor Who, uh, The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe, and The Rings of Akaten, and also some episodes of The Musketeers, Daredevil, Iron Fist, The Defenders, and The Innocents, so a bunch of Marvel things Mm -hmm. there. Um, And then, uh, similarly, Tom Shankland uh, directed the last three episodes, and he has done episodes of Dark Gently, Ripper Street, The Missing... The Leftovers, one of my favorites, House of Cards, Iron Fist, and The Punisher. And there's also an upcoming uh, City in the City, like a China Miaval, um miniseries that he worked on as well. I'm just going to note, there's a lot of Marvel overlap mm-hmm. with this show. Because mm-hmm. we'll, when we get to the actors, yeah. we've got a few uh, notes there right. too. Well, and so, yeah, I wanted to mention the actors. And Whedon overlap. Again, if you count Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a Whedon, a broadly a Whedon project. Because Ian D. Kastiker, I think you say his name, um, mm-hmm. is Fitz. on... Right. I couldn't, I couldn't remember the character's name, but I was trying to tell you about him and, last week. I was like, and I the Scottish one, you know. I didn't know from, I mean, I probably should have known when you said Scottish, but I didn't know the actor's name. And so, but at the moment I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's Fitz. Right, that guy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's, so he's got a weeding connection there. Um, Daniel Kaluuya is, uh, who plays Mac. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, is was in Black Panther, so he's had a good year. Um, he's also in the the lead in Get Out, um, which is have you seen Get okay. Out yet? I have not. No. Find that, check that out. Um, he's great, and it's a really really interesting movie. Um, so he's he's doing really well. He was also in an episode of Black Mirror, um, Fifty Million Merits, which I think is the one where it's like like a singing competition is it sort of like it's like um american idol like in the future kind of um and uh and he was actually in doctor who he's totally wasted in planet of the dead which was kind of a waste of space anyway um and i remember for like the last couple I don't, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of... He's like, well, he's one of the bus passengers when they go into the desert. Um, he's okay. like on the bus and he, he's completely wasted in the part. And I think you wouldn't realize it from that episode because he could, he doesn't have anything to do. And then you see this and you're like, come on, you could have found something more interesting for this guy. Um, and I've heard in the last few rounds of doctor casting... His is a name I hear get thrown around sometimes. And Hmm. only having seen Planet of the Dead, I, at the time, kind of thought, like, that guy? Like, really? Like, okay. Um, The rando bus driver or bus rider? Yeah, like, you had, like, and and nothing even that he did was, like, that great or he didn't seem that compelling or whatever. But now having seen 
I think I saw Get Out first, and then I saw this, and I and then I was like, okay, I'm on board. Like, if he's the fourteenth Doctor, like, sign me up. I'm ready. Um, sure. So, anyway, so oh, and he's also going to be in the Watership Down uh, miniseries um, as Bluebell. I did see that as yes. as Bluebell, which um, I, I think that could be really good casting. So I'm I'm down for that. Um, Okay, so then Natalie Dormer, Game of Thrones, you know, that's kind of the yep. biggie. Um, and many other and, things, too. Well, and I was going to say The Hunger Games. And The Hunger Games, right, right. right. Uh, or, I don't know if it was, was it all the movies or at uh, least a couple of them? Yeah, the last few. I don't remember exactly how many, but, um, yeah, the oh, last. because right, the, the last book was two movies, right? yeah. Yes. Yeah, it might have been to the last two. Because she's like one of the, like, the media crew that's kind of following yeah. them around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is kind of around the time that Game of Thrones started, right? I think 2011. So she, she right. I don't think she would have been the big name that she is now. Um, you know, this might have been even before well, she did Game of Thrones or about the same time. And and she doesn't actually show up the first couple of seasons, right? Like when does I think she starts in season two. Oh okay. So she maybe so this is probably right before she did um started Game of Thrones. Although she was in um oh what's the Henry VIII show? The Tudors. Mm -hmm. Um, which I, I think you know, a lot of people might have known her from that. So she was kind of a rising star, I guess, but you know, she wasn't yet Marjorie Tyrell. Um, yeah. And then, oh, so the only other one I wanted to point out was um, Claire Claire Rushbrook, who plays Paul's mom, was also in Doctor Who. She's one of the crew in The Impossible Planet. Um, she's the one that go it with the Doctor when you go down, go down, go down, go down. She's the one that goes down into, okay. the, into the pit with him. So, yeah, a few. I didn't recognize her, but I mean... Yeah, well, it's been a while yes. since we yeah. talked about that. Um, so, wanted to point those out. And then, just kind of want to wrap with saying that um, this did win the BAFTA TV Award for Best Drama Series the year that it transmitted. So, you know, critically, it was obviously well-received. Um, but it only had one season. So, um, I, you know, who knows if it was a ratings thing or for what reason that executives make those sorts of decisions. Um, it wasn't necessarily based on um, quality or, or lack of recognition, you know, because best drama series is kind of nothing to sniff at. So um, it was pretty well received when it came out. Um, but yeah, so it's only, and we can kind of compare and contrast, like we have, class as one extreme where it clearly ends on like multiple cliffhangers and expecting further seasons and doesn't get them and then we have Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell which is designed to be a mini series and kind of self-contained and have an ending and yet kind of leaves a few doors open like just in case right. you want to give us more like we would be ready for it so right. we can talk about I guess when we get to the end of this like 
where does it fall on the spectrum or somewhere else or, you know, how does it sort of relate to those? Yeah. And I definitely at that same time would like to talk about, yeah, like what, what is the reason that such a well-received show might not be re, you know, born mm -hmm. or whatever, or continued or however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, apparently it's non-continuation didn't, do too badly for the actors though like yeah you almost wonder yeah. like if this show did end up going on like six seasons like all of these people might have had vastly different trajectories this is very true careers. that's true like they wouldn't necessarily be doing all the things that we just listed um, right and you know sometimes it's like the cult classic that you know like the firefly thing of it was really well received, but only got one season. You know, it's like you wonder if these actors used it as the launching pad to kind of bigger, better things, you know, to kind of be able to point to something and say, you know, like for just for your resume to say, you know, I was in this mini, you know, this acclaimed series that won yeah. Best New Drama and, you know, it kind of looks really good on your CV, um, but it didn't prevent them from moving on it kind of they used it and they all have gone on like all the young actors pretty much have gone on to like much bigger things so it yeah. certainly didn't hurt their career um all right so i wanted to start talking about sort of the, the mythology aspects of this because obviously it's a very there's a rather high concept um you know aspect to this show um which i mean of course all the shows we look at uh has that pretty much but um yeah i kind of thought we could split it up by f talking first about the mythology and sort of the exposition stuff and kind of just bringing it out all up front and then um within that sort of framework of the mythology we can talk about the different characters mm -hmm. um and I guess um, we'll just start right off with like the whole idea of the fades. And um, I guess I'll go ahead and throw my theory out for, because I, I mean, obviously the title comes from what they call the these undead creatures or ghosts or whatever mm -hmm. in the series. But why do they call them that in the series? Um. And the only thing that I could think of and come up with is because they're the ones whose light fades mm. at the end, mm. right? Like um, you get the explanation from Neil uh, in in talking to Paul about, um, you know, we see Natalie. Do and so the effects of the lights are really weird. It's like really boxy. <laughs> like they kind of have these like boxy torso things. Um I, I, I don't know. Anyway, I I couldn't well, quite get... It, it makes me wonder if they're wearing, like, a light source. Like, it's right. not CGI. It's like, okay, you get, like, something That's... to wear, like, under your costume that, like, projects this, like, blinding light. Yeah. That's definitely the sense that I got. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I mean, it's fine. But it, it was a little, like, okay, like, that's weird. But, um... Yeah, the so the explanation is that um, sort of when someone dies, they have, you know, their ghost or spirit or whatever um, 
sort of hangs around a little while and then some of them find a way to sort of pass through to a, whatever you want to call it heaven or some other plane of existence and then others don't mm-hmm. um and that for there's this sort of limited time where they have this light which um helps them sort of uh attract or or be attracted to um wherever they're going to pass through um the ascension points um he calls them uh they're beacons when the dead near ascension their souls shine their souls shine those that pass the light will take over their body with a bang those that don't the light turns off and they know they're trapped here forever and that's um he doesn't ever say the light fades mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it does mm-hmm. when so because it's in, uh, no other explanation really makes sense like you don't i don't get the sense i mean unless obviously it's the first episode so maybe we learn more i mean i assume we learn more about the mythology as we go along including like who neil and these other people are who are like right. hunting them because we don't really get much of that uh, i don't think we learn anything about that other mm-hmm. than just that they're some kind of group or whatever that's aware of these things that um now paul is kind of part of too yeah um or at least starting to become a part of uh so he doesn't ever use the term like the light fades but i have to believe that that's where the name comes from Mm -hmm. is that they're they're the ones whose light faded and means that they stay but like the ghosts themselves don't seem to be fading they just they, they just seem to like stick around indefinitely forever yeah I guess. yeah um that's the impression that um and i'm trying to remember or or read in my notes if he ever explicitly uh states that but i think definitely at the very least it's implied that this is once they you know are you know are trapped here that that's a permanent state yeah. of being it so, seems to be yeah because he says um they like the height, right? Because when organic matter passes through them, they burn. And we see the, an example of that with Paul running through mm-hmm. the young woman or girl or whatever. And she sort of like disappears in this like conflict. Breaks into like particles or um, something, yeah. Well, and I got the sense that it was ash, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it's the, it burns and then there's this ash left over. And so part of me wonders like, oh, is that, this sort of apocalyptic vision that we keep getting, is it because like there's all of these fades, like suddenly something happening, mm-hmm. you know, to like cause all of this ash falling everywhere. Um, but anyway, so um, they burn, but you don't get the sense that that destroys them. It just maybe it hurts them somehow, mm-hmm. but it's not a, it's not a destructive force. It's just a, you know, they don't like it. So, mm-hmm. you know, they would rather not have it happen. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And it's more likely to, uh, or, or less likely to, to be kind of run into by the occasional bird than it is to be walking around the street and having right. people and buses and cars kind of running through you constantly. Something like, you know, 
exactly what Paul does, right, which right, is right. runs right through her, like turning a corner, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you have to wonder like why she's there then. Like this, I mean, not to get like into Paul specifically, but that like, it's the same girl that right, he sees at right. the end of the lane. So, and, and she, you know, as he, after he sort of inspects what happens, he go he walks away and then she's like there again yeah. watching him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, something's going on there, but yeah, I don't know. No, I think I, that's a really good, I, I don't think I'd ever really thought of it that way. Um, that hadn't occurred to me that that was kind of the reason or, or if it did, I've forgotten because it's been a while since I watched it. Um, so I, I, I like that because you do get the very, um, you get Neil's explanation, but then you get the shot of Sarah, um, and her, and the kind of, you know, devastating idea of her light going out, which I guess because now we know, oh, it's Natalie Dormer, like she's, you know, a you know a well-known actor. You could maybe, you might predict that she's going to stay behind. But I still feel like it's a pretty surprising thing. Like she's presented as um, seeming like this kind of good person, like, you know, on the, the side of the, the side of the good guys, like, seems like the kind of person in the the short intro we get to her who would ascend you know like even though neil tells us it's random you know like there's nothing there's nothing you can actually earn or do or achieve that can make you more or less likely to get stuck here um but but you still have the sense of okay we're going to watch this person ascend and it's sad but there's kind of a beauty to it and, and you know and then there's the kind of like disappointment of the oh no you know and her realization she kind of seems to to realize herself you know like there's a moment of awareness in when she's sort of trapped here and that nobody really saw that coming even if they know it's random they still didn't see it coming for her yeah i mean Yes, he says it's random. I guess I I don't know that I took that as a hundred percent. Well, and uh, yeah, we don't know him, so we don't <clears throat> really know a lot yet. But like, like he could seem random, but maybe there's a perfectly logical explanation. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and so I mean, there's there's a very I think I was surprised by him because there was a very sort of doctorish moment mm. there of the oh I'm I'm so sorry you mm. know like the yeah. the the feeling of like this sort of thing has happened that he can't do anything about and he probably and and she probably seems to understand because yeah. of her visions and you know during her lifetime whatever like you get the sense that she's you know been interacting like this is someone who has been sort of studying and following and 
understanding the fades a lot longer than just like within the last day or so Mm -hmm. right like so she probably knows you know more about what this means than maybe anyone else other than neil himself yeah um yeah well and and like you said even if whether or not it really is a random process they if they believe it to be random that doesn't even necessarily that it's kind of one thing to think of that abstractly for other people um but i think then when it's somebody that you know you know there's that kind of secret expectation that well she's gonna move on you know she's gonna like because i think they even i mean we'll have to see i don't they don't get into this in in this episode the question of if you ascend like what does that even mean that sort of sure you know so i I guess we don't necessarily he kind of doesn't really want to you know conceptualize it as heaven necessarily i guess kind of saying we don't really know what it is um and yet yeah and yet they kind of still the implication is that it's better to ascend like whatever it is it's at least you're not stuck here. Like, we don't know what is on the other side of that, but we know that being a fade here is a bad thing. Um, right. And I think there is that that kind of self-centeredness that assumes that, like, well, if it's somebody I know, she's about to move on, and that's kind of what's going to happen. And, you know, they they both seem kind of surprised when that's not what happens. Yeah. yeah, and all the more poignant because they know what it means. Like you said, they haven't just learned about this right now. Like Paul, they know the implications of what her fate is since that happened. Yep. Um, so we maybe skipped around a little bit. Um, any Anything else about the fades themselves? I mean, we kind of got hit the high points of you know, they're these ghosts or souls of the dead and, you know, they've, um, um, well, the only, I guess the only other kind of plot point is that some of them are breaking through that, you know, there's sort of at least one and it sounds like if one comes, maybe others will follow that, um, are able to interact with the you know the kind of the world of the living um so you get this sort of i don't know what to call him i don't remember if he has a name or not but this kind of um uber fade like an uber fade Um, yeah i was gonna say he's he's very vampirical he is he is uh yeah he's very kind of master kind of yeah, vampire, like, like pale and kind of pointy and everything, um, who is, you know, not just, uh, you know, affected by humans if they walk through him, but actually is able to attack people and sort of chase them around. Um, and it sounds, the implication is sort of that, uh, I think Neil says that uh, he's breaking through into flesh and that others will follow. So there's a kind of, it's not just that this is a kind of 
sucky situation for some of the ghosts to find themselves in, but there's like a more immediate crisis of maybe what if they could kind of come back through and on the one hand, it's kind of like, well, who could blame them if the situation they're in is really horrible and eternal, you know, then there's a motivation for them to get back through. But, you know, potentially they're coming through as these sort of scary monsters that would eat people and kill them. So it's not good for, you know, the humans. Yeah. you Usually undead or dead things breaking through from another plane of existence are, are bad news for yeah. people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Uber fade. I like that. We'll just call him that <laughs> until, until we have a better. Yeah. I, I don't know if he has a proper name. So I, yeah, I feel like that's it's like, it's like how the gentleman never, we never got his, like the man with thistle down hair until like the very last episode. Right. 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 Like, right. Thistle down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, so let's talk through the characters. And I don't, I mean, this, it, there's a, it's a lot of setup, right? So I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on any one character per se. I mean, we've already kind of talked quite a bit about Neil. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. most of what he does is like, all right, so he saves Sarah in the beginning. Well, he doesn't actually end up saving her, but like tries sure. to save her in the beginning and then finds out about Paul somehow. Oh, well, he sees him in the mall and like tracks him down. Yeah. And like the rest of the episode is pretty much the two of them, except for the little bit with Helen where like she tries to save his eye, but. Mm -hmm. Um, she does like the green mile thing and like <laughs> right like doesn't... sucks the poison out psychically. yeah but it doesn't yeah. quite work like i i guess the implication is that she does suck the poison out and makes a moth out of it but then like it's still too late to like save the eye itself right right um yeah yeah so and I don't, so we've got this little trio. And I mean, we get a little more with Sarah from Mark's perspective, obviously, like very little, but, mm -hmm. you know, they were married, but estranged, but lived in the same house. Mm -hmm. And it's very technical and complicated. Right. Um, I still have no clue, like, what Helen is in relation to all this. So, like, and I, I still, I'm not entirely clear what their relationship then is all, all between the three of them, mm -hmm. other than it seems like Neil's kind of, if not the head of the group, kind of the one who's been around the longest, mm -hmm. maybe. Although I'm not, I say that kind of with a question in my voice, because I don't really know Helen well enough yet sure. to make that determination. And it seems like we're not going to get to know her too well. Yeah in the future right right um, well and and there's the and she, there's the she seems no sorry no. i was just no I was just go gonna say she seems to have like a church connection at least based on her dress 
that maybe there's some kind of resources being tapped into from that side of things too that we don't really know much about um, at this point. Yeah, and visually, if nothing else, that sort of sets her apart from the other two. Like, yeah, like, and and, um, you know, again, we'll have to kind of see if if there's more explanation or whether that's just kind of a visual way of uh, distinguishing her. But it it would seem to imply that, like, if there's these sort of Ghostbusters, if like we use that term. Um, then, fade, like... Fade busters? Yeah. Then, like, it does kind of make you wonder, like, well, okay, she comes in in this sort of priest collar and everything. What does that imply about her status or her allegiance? Um, is it just that she's a member of the clergy who happens to be one of them? Or does that kind of make her have some sort of special, you know, status within the group? Um, you know, that's not entirely clear from this episode, I don't think. Yeah, no, it's not clear to me at all. Um, so yeah, and, and so Sarah seems to be part of it because she's, she has these, like, visions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neil can see the fades, so what I what I don't know yet is can like anybody see them and it's just like a training thing mm. but like maybe only certain people like maybe it's easier for certain people and so they sort of notice them mm-hmm. where others don't so like that would be my assumption with like Paul and Neil is that like they don't seem to have any special powers or abilities beyond just seeing them. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul does, sorry, because he's like also getting these visions, mm-hmm. the same that Sarah's getting. Helen and Neil don't seem to get the vision. Mm-hmm. They just, but they do seem to be able to see these fades. Right, right, right. And Helen, like you said, we see her kind of. Um, magical poison sucking ability. So we know she has right. some sort of So she does have some. Right, right. Right. Neil Neil is Neil the biggest sort of question mark in terms of or, like what can he actually do other than see the see the right. fades themselves. Right. I, I mean they say all he doesn't of, we haven't seen anything from him. Well you know what we do get though is the I mean both he and Helen do the kind of I just appeared right behind you thing, which could be perfectly mundane, but we don't know yet kind of how they're able to do that. And then the other... Wait, when does Neil do that? In uh, Paul's bedroom, he's sort of sort of lurking there waiting for it. Oh, yeah, I just took that as like, he's good at like sneaking around. Sure. Like I didn't, I mean, that's like, yeah, I didn't really see that as like a mystical ability. And that, that I think that could be. And I, the only other thing is it it to me I associate it with Helen sort of appearing then in uh, the bedroom when Mark is in there and just sort of suddenly. Yeah, being but then there. like also like Mark's asleep. Right. 
And that, right. so that's all so I'm like, saying is those could be mundane things or they could be something else. I think it's ambiguous. Fair enough. What I think is less ambiguous is when he's then in in Paul's bedroom and talking to him and kind of does that little um, thing of, all right, close your eyes and, and make your mind go sort of blank and then open it and we're on a roof. And, mm. you know, again, the implication like, okay, did they just go to a roof and we didn't see it? It was off screen, but it seems like they kind of projected themselves up there. Um, and yeah, I, you I know, see what I, you're saying. I, can I just say, I took yeah. that though, because Paul wasn't like suddenly freaked out. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of took that as, as like, yeah, like it was one of those like cinematography, like, right you know, you close your eyes and then, like, suddenly you're in a new place, but, like, that doesn't mean they were magically transported there. It just means that, like, they went and we didn't, as the audience, we didn't see them. Like, so I just, move. I just think that all those things are shot in a way that they could go either way. And yeah. so I feel like And it's, I'm just it's, saying how I took them. I'm, yeah. I'm open to the thought that yeah. maybe I could be wrong, but I don't, like, it, yeah, if it's an idea of like, oh, we're going to take these sort of cinematography tropes, but then like explain them in a different light later, like that, that would be cool. I'd totally be down for that. But I don't, I don't have the wherewithal to like, determine is that what's yeah, going yeah. on and, at this point. And a lot of things like I'm kind of trying to like, even remember from when I so like if I'm speculating, it's not because I'm trying to lead you to anything. It's like sometimes I don't even remember myself. So sometimes it's just me speculating. Um I think like, but I think those things, there are a few things that even if we don't see hard evidence that Neil has the same abilities as Sarah and Helen, I think there's some potential with the ambiguity of how exactly he kind of gets from place to place and you know i think we're kind of teased in that direction but um but we don't know for sure if he has any powers or if so are they different from those other people right um yeah and and your question like if they have powers why is it like a natural gift that they're born with is it a skill that they've learned um yeah, a train. You know, something they were trained to do. We we don't know yet. Yeah. Or is there some sort of like divine? Like, is it, or maybe divine's not quite the right. But like, is it, is it like a Slayer type of thing? Like, there's a, a right. succession, you know, of people who like mm -hmm. have this ability. Yeah. Um. Yeah, because I think that's the other thing with like the similarity of Sarah and Paul's uh visions you could you know it's not like she there's an overlap you know she dies or it's not like she dies and then the next day he inherits the visions like there's a period of time where they're both kind of having them but you i get the sense of like is there almost like a passing of the torch happening you know just because of at the time same time that she's dying he's now having this sort of thing awakened in him 
So you kind of have to wonder, yeah. is there some sort of connection or is it just kind of a coincidence that as she's kind of fading, he's starting to kind of gain this new ability? Yeah. That's a good point and good question. Um, yeah, anything else? So it seems... I. I mean, Helen's dead, I mm -hmm. think, at the end of the episode. like. Well, um, death doesn't have to be the end. But, yeah, true. she looked pretty dead at the end of the episode. Uh, but the, she's, she's still dead, even if it's not the end. Yes, right. <laughs> um, right. What, what she might come back. And, um, I mean, I assume, cause, like, she says that she wouldn't have been able to save uh sarah mm -hmm. had she been there too so like i assume she also can't save herself so maybe <laughs> yeah maybe uh, that's not accurate i don't know um yeah so my question is now and that like maybe i'm just reading into it because because so here's the thing like i see what you're saying about natalie dormer and like knowing that she's like a name now that we know and whatever but like at the time she wasn't really sure right yeah that's a so good like i don't think that necessarily someone seeing this like she could have been the jesse of the episode mm -hmm. um and i kind of expected her to be because like well i admit i yeah so it's dark and i was watching it and i didn't pick up immediately in that first scene that it was actually Natalie Dormer mm -hmm. when I was, even though I knew she was in this show because you had mentioned it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't expect to see that woman who gets like, like that opening, what do you call that? Like the cold open. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't expect the woman who gets taken by this thing to be seen again. <laughs> like I just assumed it was just one of those like, Right. I'm, I almost said throwaway. I don't mean like throwaway women, but I kind of do, I guess. Like, yeah. like one of those, like, she's just a sort of nameless, I mean, not nameless because they do call her Sarah on the, like, on the phone or whatever. But like, that idea of like, it's like this introducing an idea at the beginning that there's this monster and now someone else is going to fight it. Mm -hmm. So I totally didn't expect to like see her again and see her body or whatever and then have her like actually be like a significant part but then second to that i didn't expect after she died to then be like oh okay now we get to see her as a babe right right and so now like not only is it like oh we see her like spirit wandering around looking for ascension like you said we kind of might assume that because she's a good person she would ascend but now it's like oh she didn't so now i'm like okay what does that mean? Does that mean, like, if we've got this one guy coming through, like, does she is she still, like, fighting the good fight, but as a fade? Mm -hmm. Or does she become, like, someone who becomes shitty because she's, you know, a fade now and, like, yeah. didn't ascend? And what does that mean? Like, is she gonna, like, try to figure out how to, like, come back to the physical world as well. And like, how does that take shape? Mm -hmm. So 
those are kind of all my questions. I don't, I'm not looking for you to answer them if you even remember answers to any of those or if they even apply. Maybe mm-hmm. some of them are just ridiculous, but those are kind of the things I'm thinking about as like my own expectations with her character specifically were sort of subverted right. not once but twice right, at least right, right. in the episode. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, those are, I think, good questions. Cool. Um, um, so moving on, I want to, I mean, we talked a little bit about Paul already, in particular his relation to Neil. I guess the other the other side of Paul, or the other sides of Paul, are um, his, uh, his relationship with his friend Mac, which mm-hmm. I just, Mac is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the like amount of pop culture references yeah just like the constant stream of um, yeah yeah i feel like so i have a 13 year old daughter who like basically relates to the world through memes Uh and like i feel like that would be like like another five years you know down the road if this had been made like that would have been sure right like it's just a little too early for that like social media Mm -hmm. meme like thing to kick in right like a couple yeah. uh, just a couple years later it would have been like yeah going after that um yeah and not to say that like you still couldn't have all the tv and uh movie references which he obviously has but like i love that moment where um i mean it, it's that sort of meta moment where paul asks him about you know uh, you know, it, would you say everything you've learned was from films? And he's like, no, no, television's been doing some important work for me recently. And it's like, yeah, this is peak television, right? Yeah, like, this yeah. is the, the golden age. Like, we're we're in it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it's just that kind of, like, the awareness of yeah. of where we are and, and all of those references. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I like, you know, even though that's very, um, Paul isn't spewing the constant references in the same way that Mac is, there's still that kind of thing of what are they talking about? Like, are, like what authors would you want to write your life? And like those little conversations, like that feels very, you know, real. Like those sure. are the conversations we would have with our friends and like with each other and stuff like you know, I, there's something kind of, um, I don't know if relatable is the word, but just that seems very like true and kind of down Authentic, to earth yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what I really like about <clears throat> Daniel Kaluuya in this that I don't think this isn't necessarily something that I've noticed in anything else I've seen him in, but he convincingly between his performance and like the costume and the way he walks and everything, he convincingly does awkward teenager, you know, like, (laughs) like I kind of believe. And even though he can play like one of the, I don't know, King's bodyguards in black Panther and look completely great and impressive and like an action hero. But in this, it's like, I believe that that kid is like one of the nerds, you know, which like, that's not always the case, you know? And so, like, it's fine. It's forgivable when, like, you know, we watch class and it's like, okay, these are the misfits and everything. You know, that's fine. Um, right. Here are the stereotypes. But but sometimes it's refreshing to see someone who it's like, 
he he really does kind of embody that like he's kind of cool with himself and kind of weird and comfortable with his nerdiness but also convincingly sort of awkward at the same time um and that's a hard thing again for you know a movie star quality actor to pull off um because i don't think he's like that in life so um i kind of appreciate that about him in this and you know and and paul as well i think ian decastiker does a good job you know with his sort of awkward pubescence and everything in this series um yeah his his embarrassment with his mom and and all that is like you know there's you know he he's going through some painful stuff and i think he does a good job of kind of the frustration of that um yeah and i don't i mean i don't think we need to step through the plot stuff cuz really most of most of this stuff with Paul and Mac um, is just trying to figure stuff out. And then like Paul meets Neil and like, it's a mm-hmm. bunch of answers to stuff. So I don't, I mean, not everything of course, but I don't think it's like necessary to go step-by-step mm-hmm. through the thing. Um, but it is, yeah, their relationship is, is pretty, pretty great. Um, yeah. Your typical, like sort of like shunned, you know, nerds who at least have each other right Mm -hmm. like to kind of pal around with um yeah yeah um and and it is like they are just always like like no matter what's like whether they're you know riding bikes at the mall you know at the old dilapidated like shut down mall or um you know (laughs) like talking in the girls bathroom or you know watching watching the cool kids from afar you know in the woods at the campfire like it it, they're just there's that like constant sort of banter Mm -hmm. um back and forth Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and the i was just reading the the you're not good at jokes i've explained when you tell a joke you have to wink like kind of teaching each other how to like you know teaching his weird friend how to be funny and um and then right. you wink and I'll laugh and we'll both look better. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of good stuff with them. Yeah. Um, so I guess we should also mention, like, just in kind of the building of the ensemble, there's um, Paul's, we mentioned his mom. Um, so there's, you know, there was a divorce, it sounds like, somewhat recently or... <laughs> If the mom dressed sluttier, then maybe <laughs> the dad wouldn't have left. Right. Is that's Anna's take right. on the divorce. Um, that's her, so, her nuanced so sim- opinion. So simple. Yeah. Um <laughs> Right. And I guess the the divorce like if it wasn't, you know, obviously we're calling into question whether the divorce is the source of all of Paul's, you know, troubles and bedwetting and everything. But like it sounds like that was fairly recently you know um like that this is something he's still getting used to is his parent separation um yeah and anna is pretty one-dimensional but kind of amusing at this point like you know there's not a lot of 
redeeming qualities yet with her. Um, she's kind of a nightmare, but um, but yeah, kind of funny. Needs a uh, her. She needs a, a a note so that she can redo her nails before she goes in. Right, because she's obviously not going to go in now. Right, obviously. Um, yeah, and then there's Anna's best friend, uh, Jay, who apparently Paul... Well, wait, stepping back. Are Paul and Anna twins? They're twins. They are twins. Mm -hmm. Because I I thought that was the case, but then I didn't... I don't know, for some reason I doubted it. Um, Yeah. Anyway. Right, because Anna says something about, like how did we come out of the same egg? And then Paul says, well, we didn't, we would be identical if we came from the same egg. So right. I think the idea, they're fraternal twins is, is the idea. Right. Okay. Um, which I thought so. So they're same age, obviously mm -hmm. as twins are want to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so Jay is presumably the same age as them, mm -hmm. them as well in the same grade and whatever. Um, yeah, and Paul kind of has a little crush on her, mm -hmm. it seems like. Um, and she knows it, mm -hmm. and maybe has some reciprocal, like, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Talk about weird, awkward, like, teenage moments, like, oh, now I have your spit in my mouth. But, like, you kind of get the sense that she's saying that as, like, a flirtatious, almost. Right, right. Like, like, maybe have some more spit in my mouth. Right. Is that a good thing? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And, like, Paul seems absolutely clueless to, like, which I can kind of understand because it's not the best flirtation mm -hmm. going on there at the moment. Um, but also, like, that Jay's kind of having fun with it. So, like, maybe she knows that it's totally terrible yeah, flirtatiousness right. and... Like she, because like when she says he has nice eyes, and then like he sort of awkwardly says as she's riding away, like, you have nice eyes too. And she's like, I know. So like, it seems like she knows that she's flirting. This isn't just like, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the, the unaware, you know, type of flirtation that might go on between right. teenagers. Like, right. She at least seems to know that she's like right. She's a bit with him, messing although... with him a little bit, but not like not in a taunting kind of way. Like she might be a little more worldly or at least than not him, a mean, but not right, a mean right, kind of way. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, like so she might know that some of this is going over his head, but that doesn't mean that she's being mean about it. Like there's a sincerity too. Right. And so as far as, you know, Anna goes, like she would apparently be mad if she found out that like her best friend was sort of flirting with her brother. But I don't know, like there's there's that question of like, is that what makes it exciting for her? Like, because sure. we don't really know Jay at all. I mean, she seems sincere enough. Like, I don't I don't know that I, I don't mean to imply that like She's only doing it because, you know, she wants to make Anna pissed off or anything either. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, like, does that add to 
maybe the excitement a little bit too of mm-hmm. knowing that it would sort of irritate Anna. Um, right. And then, and, and sort of wondering, okay, like why are these two people friends? Cause right. we don't know either of them terribly well, but I mean, just based on the superficial stuff that we know of, Jay seems kind of nice and sincere and Anna seems not those things. Well, since <laughs> sin- sincere but not nice. Right, right. <laughs> I don't I don't think I I don't know. It's hard cuz we know where Cordy goes cuz I was going right. to make it. We don't want to we don't want to write off the mean girls. I, yeah, episode. I don't want to just say Anna's a terrible person, but she kind of acts terrible. Right. <laughs> At least is you know, in the few right. scenes that we see her. Yeah, doing, so. I think, and that's kind of why I was saying, like, based on what we know, this is how she seems to be, but we don't want to make any assumptions because, yeah, we've we've just met her and this is only the first episode, so, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, any other thoughts there between, I guess, Paul and... Anna and Jay, and I guess even his mom and like the therapy stuff. I don't, um, I don't know that the therapy stuff is that like, like it's sort of the typical. Oh, you know, you have to go see a therapist, and like, because there's like the supernatural stuff going on, it obviously right, and we think it's schizophrenia or something. Yeah, there's there's like other explanations than like the rational Mm -hmm. therapeutic explanation yeah yeah no i mean i think that's a fairly standard kind of trope um no i don't think i have any thing else really um nope i think that about covers it so yeah i mean i like i said i i liked though i thought it was a good opening episode um definitely looking forward to kind of seeing where things go here but uh um yeah cool i guess let's move on to um angel then yeah um yes shells so i want to start with the kind of meta level discussion which um we started to kind of talk about when we were picking our title um and this idea of death does not have to be the end, which we've brought up many times in all of these different shows that we've talked about. I think probably every show we've talked about has had some variant of a character getting killed off and then coming back in some form, right? Like, there's literally, like, if as soon as we get into the realm of speculative fiction that becomes a possibility you know whether through science or magic or reincarnation or whatever it is um so it's kind of interesting to i don't i I think this is an ongoing question in these types of stories especially when we've you know when we are in kind of peak tv and and there's a lot of sci-fi and fantasy out there and everything. Like how do you create stakes when death doesn't have to be the end? Right. Like I think we want to still feel like there are consequences and that sometimes bad things happen and you can't go back from them. 
And sometimes like stories can create consequences through killing their characters. But what, what do you do when that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gone from the show? Um, and so it's interesting in here, obviously they all want Fred to not have died, but the conversations immediately launch into, okay, how can we undo it? You know, because <laughs> everybody's right. experience is that we have like multiple examples of how this doesn't have to be the final end to her story. There's like literally they, they can't see a reason why we should just have to like accept yeah. this. Like half of Wolferman Hart has like come back from the dead yeah. in some yeah. form or another. Yes. And, and especially with like the super mystical stuff, right? right? Like, like, okay, we've, we've gone the, you know, natural death route. And we know that like, like with Joyce, you couldn't bring her back because you yeah. know, it was a natural death and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But this was like, yeah, totally not natural. This was supernatural at sort of the highest level. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and they are at Wolfram and Hart and it, you know, you're, you have many more options open to you when you're willing to court the like moral gray areas of the universe, which they have been at Wolfram and Hart, like, you know, there are probably many uh, shady ways that they could look into bringing her back as well. And I think they would be open to those, you know, um, like whether it's the kind of, you know, magic that Willow got up to when she kind of resurrected Buffy or like there's, you know, so many different ways that they could go about this. Um, and you know, an angel and Wesley or, or angel and Spike, um, just kind of walk Walton is like walking pieces of evidence that, yeah, we can do this. You know, Spike says like, you know, flash fried in a pit of fire, saving the world. I got better. Like, <laughs> like there's no reason why we can't look into this. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, just kind of wanted to mention that because I think it does kind of play with your, they're speaking for the audience there, right? Um, we've seen yeah. these examples of Angel came back and Buffy came back and, you know, so many other people. Um, and you're just kind of expecting that Fred's going to survive. And if she doesn't, it's going to be undone in a week or two. Um, so... Yeah, so they just kind of launch into these plans, and Angel's first impulse is to call Giles um, and to get get Willow over here, um, which I wonder what Willow... I'm just kind of thinking of this now, but I wonder what her reaction would be, um, given some of her experiences, you know? Like, would she be as willing and eager to go resurre resurrecting people um, yeah. Well, I mean, Giles kind of covers for her, so you don't really know, like, oh, she's off in the Himalayas, you know? It, is that, like, Willow is in the other room saying, like, tell them I'm in the Himalayas. Like, <laughs> I don't know. The other, so the other thing is, like, it wasn't that long ago that we had Andrew here, right. like, telling us that Buffy and team doesn't really trust 
right. Wolfram and Hart. So like, I maybe Angel forgot that, but like, yeah. Or maybe he just was like, well, even if that's the case, it's worth a shot. But yeah, like I don't think you really expect them to come help. Um, and it's like maybe she's really in the Himalayas, but that's another piece of the. I I wonder if that's not just Giles saying like, you know, yeah, we can't really do anything. Sorry. Um, sure. You know, like who knows? Willow could be in the other room at that very moment. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely did think of that. Like, they're not going to be very eager to help you out, especially if what you're calling for is something that sounds a bit sketchy, you know? Like, it's not help us prevent... He's not really calling for help, like, fighting evil. He's not saying Illyria is about to destroy the world. We have to join forces and save everybody. He's calling to say, can you come resurrect one of our people? And again, that's, that's a dangerous territory. And especially if Giles and everyone are sort of wary of them. That's not going to be the thing that gets Giles to put Willow on a plane. And right. send her straight over, I don't think. Um, yeah, so, but Angel is frustrated. I think he kind of thought that that was going to be an easier phone call than it turned out to be. Um, and. I mean, and Angel, let's face it, doesn't exactly uh, handle rejection well. <laughs> this is true. Just on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess, well, hold on. I'm trying to think. Other than calling Giles, there really aren't any other plans, right? Yeah, not really. So even that in I mean, itself it's... is kind of interesting. I mean... So, I mean, sure. I, I definitely would want to talk about, like, we can acknowledge the fact that we're told that it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's somewhat, I, I wonder if we're getting reliable narration here, but. Um, sure. You know. Well, I was just going to say that, too. Like, there's a, there's a question of, um. So when Wesley goes to the doctor, Dr. Sparrow. Right, that, right. Uh, the the question there is like, this is a guy who's been deceptive, uh, or sorry, not Wesley, Gunn goes and then yeah, Wesley yeah, follows. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a guy who's been pretty deceptive all along, including like with the whole signing of the yeah. customs release that, you know, brings Illyria into Wolfram and Hart. So, yeah, like, do we believe him? Do we believe Illyria? Because she also says that, like, Fred's gone mm -hmm. completely. Yeah. Or mostly I, completely. I wasn't sure whether to believe him or not. But what's interesting to me is, like, that they do. And they do pretty easily. And it, I don't know. It kind of gives me this impression that, like, as much as they 
want to bring her back and to have it be undone. There's almost a sense of they're just expecting it to sort of just kind of happen. Like nobody really has a plan for how they're going to go about bringing her back. You know, as much as Angel kind of starts the episode with declaring this, um, his only idea really is to bring in the big guns, which is Willow. Um, and then they kind of got nothing. Um, and I don't know if that's just the despair of what they've been told that, okay, there's, it's not going to happen. So just sort of give up. Is that like the kind of, I don't know, depression that comes along with the grief that, you know, you kind of get the hopelessness of that. I'm not quite sure. Cause now that I'm kind of thinking about it, like for as much as they talk about like not believing that she's really gone and they keep saying the word gone throughout the episode, like they're kind of having this series of realizations that she's gone. They're not yeah. very motivated to do something like they're not off trying different spells and, I don't know, pretty quickly it shifts into we've got to take down Illyria, you know? Sure. I mean, so part of that is... I, I mean, I don't know. I I think you're right. So I, I, I definitely agree with, like, what you're saying. I think part of it is just Angel, that's what he does, right? Like, just, like, goes headlong at the problem and doesn't mm -hmm. always take the roundabout way so like and wesley's clearly not thinking at the top of his game yeah um but i do want to point back to the fact that like a lot of that was kind of the last episode mm -hmm. like yes it was focused on how to stop Illyria from taking over fred's body mm -hmm. but i feel like like last episode was the one where Wesley like consulted all the books and looked yeah. for all the stuff. So, so I do. So I wonder if that's just part of why they believe him is because they've exhausted every other mm -hmm. possibility mm -hmm. kind of in, in the run up to, yeah, you know, where they're at now. Um, yeah. And I want to clarify, I'm not saying that they're not motivated in the sense that they, don't care but it seems like they're at a loss for yeah. like they kind of I think they want it to be true they want to say death doesn't have to be the end she can come back but then they all just kind of look around at each other like right you know like like yeah we all agree that that's true but how is that gonna be true doesn't you know they they, they don't have a lot of options and yeah, maybe that with the kind of realization that of what like the doctor says um, kind of confirms what they were suspecting, which is, no, this kind of seems to be the end. Um, right. And like, yikes, that's upsetting that soul Fred doesn't even have a soul anymore. Sure. So like, if Buffy thought she was in heaven and there's a heaven in this universe, Fred's not in it. Like, she's not anywhere. 
That's messed up. Just gonna say that. Um, I I don't disagree. And like, yeah, in terms of like I was saying about finding ways to create stakes and consequences, that is that is a brutal way of doing it. Um, Fred is gone, and she can't come back because we destroyed her essence. So yeah. Um, right like it's it's one thing to like destroy the body right but then like the soul still wherever yeah you know right wherever souls go when people die right but but yeah the idea here is that like as part of the takeover illyria has destroyed Fred is Mm -hmm. except for like this little whatever this little spark is that she kind of Mm -hmm. hints at at the end right right you know and it's funny how she sort of talks not funny but like interesting I guess how Illyria sort of talks like you know as part of my like it's almost robotic the way she Mm -hmm. refers to like her you know motor functions and like those types of things um yeah yeah. 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 Well, I want to talk about her, but really quick with the kind of intro stuff. I just want to also note that Lorne, um, of all of them, kind of pieces out the most quickly. Um, like the others kind of, like I said, sort of have a vague notion that maybe we can do something, even though they can't. Whereas Lorne realizes there's nothing I can do. And yeah. and he there's nothing he can do to even help them he just has to take himself away um so just wanted to i don't know if that's just his his empathy and his sort of sensitivity or if there's i don't know if you have another sort of reason for that um or that's just his yeah that just kind of his way of processing it i mean yeah i i take it as a step in the same direction as his conversation with uh well conversation might be misleading um with eve Mm -hmm. last week of this is yeah this is him sort of you know needing time to process like the loss of fred who was probably the closest that he had to a friend in Mm -hmm. the group Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that might be true of like all everyone in the group, right? Too. Everyone in their own way, um, right. in their own way, right. like was kind of closer to Fred than anyone else. Right. Um, I mean, except maybe like Angel and Cordy, but like Cordy's been gone a while. Mm-hmm. But and and like Angel even alludes to that, right? Like of how he lost Cordy and like doesn't can't like stand to lose Fred in the same way. Right. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I just think it's Lauren's sensitive and mm-hmm. this was maybe his best friend in the group. And like, he, you know, like you said to Eve, you know, uh, Fred had her own sort of empathic, mm-hmm. maybe ability isn't the right word, but empathic streak mm-hmm. in her that, he uh yeah he he misses and so um yeah yeah 
I mean, I don't, we don't, I don't want to say anything more than that because, like, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes back. Like, it's not necessarily clear, like, that he will come back or, you know, when that might happen. Yeah, yeah. uh, No, but it's a notable kind of moment in the beginning and a notable absence. So I definitely wanted to mention it. Um, Okay. So let's talk about Knox and Illyria. Um, and I didn't have this in the bullet points, but like, I did want to mention kind of what you said about just her mannerisms and, you know, the different kind of way that she speaks and, um, even like her voice is kind of lower, like, like not just in the way she speaks, but like the register of her voice. I don't think she blinks once in the entire episode. Um, I was watching the second time, waiting for the blink, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't blink for the entire thing. So, um... Have I blinked at all? (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, let's see how long you go starting now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean... Yes, doable with, with, um, you know cameras running and you can kind of do different takes and stuff but like that's an impressive feat for uh amy acker to just like the concentration that it takes to do that um with like blue contacts in and everything um sure and so and and, and she does a good job of like differentiating making you know a lot of times in buffy and angel especially with like these wolferman heart guys the demons can be very like normal like and even like lauren like they kind of look crazy but they kind of act like anybody else and i think we've seen some of the demons get more human and everything whereas i think what she does really well is sell the alienness of um of illyria which in the, it's fine it's not like i don't have a problem with the more human seeming demons but but it's a good way of distinguishing like Illyria's, you know, ancientness and her unfamiliarity with everything um, mm-hmm. to give her kind of these twitchy movements. And I don't know, just everything about her is kind of weird and wrong. Sure. And I mean, so we haven't really talked about sort of the external, you know, creative reasons for why they killed off Fred. Um, and that I think right there is, is one of them that they wanted to give Amy Acker, a, you know, new, more challenging role mm-hmm. to kind of play. Um, so, yeah, no, I think, I think that's all. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, it's hard to say because, like, we've just met Illyria, and I guess my question to you is: I don't like. Did you see the trajectory of her sort of character just in this episode, even of what we've seen so far, like? were you expecting in particular the ending? And I know we're jumping ahead maybe a little <laughs> bit. 
um, um, to Wesley and, and Illyria and kind of where we end up. Like, would you, did you, I, I, I don't feel know. Like what, are, what a, are your thoughts? I feel like there's a step missing and I'm not quite sure where. Like, I can't decide if, if I feel like I wanted more development from Illyria before she got to the point where she realized that I have to stay here, which means I have to live here, which means I have to adapt. And then reaching out to Wesley, I need your help. Um, or do I need more from Wesley to get to the point where by the end of this episode, he's able to kind of disassociate enough from what Illyria did to Fred to like kind of be able to not just shoot her. <laughs> sure. And well, I'm not quite sure, like, is it both? Is it one or the other? I, I feel like I could have used in either or both of those arcs, I could have used another beat you know, maybe maybe sure. stretching those storylines out over another episode, maybe by the end of a second episode, I could have... I, I, it seems a little quick. Yes, I get what you're saying. But I do like that there's a certain framing of the episode mm. with having just the two of them in the beginning and then... In, like, the bedroom and the... Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. No, um, it's a nice bookend. It is a nice bookend. Um, but and I yeah, don't, like I, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that as the trajectory. I just, I, I feel like sure. maybe I, I'm missing a, a half step of of motivation yeah. in there somewhere. My only point being that I like that within the same episode yeah. because yeah. you get that sort of framing that you couldn't get it. No, if that, you and, stretched it over too, and that's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's hard. Like, it's it's hard to see how else you might do that, other than like having maybe Illyria spending a little more time in her sort of, you know, uh, abandoned domain. You know, but we do kind of see her like mm -hmm. lamenting the fact that like. All of her followers, like I don't, I guess she just assumed they were all still there and mm -hmm. wait, waiting for her. Which okay, mm -hmm. sure, why not? Yeah. Um, and obviously they're they're not. So. Yeah. Yeah, I I could, I could see maybe a little bit more of that and a little more realization on her part. Um, yeah, I think it just it it felt like we just. I, I on the first watch it kind of threw me how quickly we just jumped to different ideas like you know Illyria's a threat that's going to take over the universe oh wait no all of her people or her followers are dead wait okay now she wants to like learn to be human like that just was like a lot in the span of like 15 minutes <laughs> that you know I feel like maybe I could have used a little more time to kind of sit with some of those realizations. Um, but like, it's not, I think it's, 
it's it's fine. It's not like, you know. Yeah. It's not the biggest. I, it's not the biggest deal. Um, and it does make you wonder how powerful Illyria is, especially in Fred's body. Like, all mm-hmm. right, so she can sort of manipulate time to some degree. We see that, and mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole like, okay, she magically creates like a leather bodysuit for herself, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like beyond those types of things, and like she's strong, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. Wesley tries to hit her, and like you know, it doesn't really affect her much. But, like, beyond those sorts of things, which are all just kind of... Except, like, the time thing. I don't think we've really seen that anywhere. Mm. Like... No, I don't think so. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, we've seen, like, super strong godlike villains before and, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, what distinguishes her, maybe, from any of those other things Mm -hmm. and like what are like what is the actual extent of her capabilities like Mm -hmm. as a demon you know one of the old ones like presumably she does have some kind of other capabilities but we don't really see what they are yeah we don't know yet but definitely like drogon sold the kind of ancientness which implies like phenomenal cosmic powers and everything um so we're sure so i'm sort of you know we we have yet to see specifically kind of what that means and like the time distortion is definitely like i don't know that that's the the biggest extent of her power but it's definitely weirder than something we've seen before like that's a that's a fairly unique and kind of implies that she's gonna have abilities that you might not have thought of other than just like but, you said like standard kind of super strength and agility and everything but also like once they figure out what's going on totally manageable mm-hmm. by angel and team mm-hmm. too so it's it's also that thing of like like yeah you think of like maybe these demons from before the dawn of time as you know being sort of super creatures but i like is there is it because she's in fred's body maybe like Mm -hmm. maybe not having a supernatural body she's limited in some kind of way or um yeah like right maybe maybe there was something you know maybe there's like an aspect of having hordes of people worshiping you that gives you like the it's the jasmine thing right like the more people worship the more powerful you kind of become and that kind of thing yeah um i mean that's not exactly what jasmine because she like ate people but you know what i mean like there's that idea of yeah like everyone has to clap for tinkerbell to live kind Mm -hmm. of thing like and the more people clapping the, the stronger she is well, and it calls to mind the title of shells and everything, like, to what extent, I mean, we know that she needs, you know, she needed Fred's body to resurrect, but, like, is that a permanent thing, you know? Is that, like, a permanent solution that, uh, you know, or is she obligated to stay in that shell forever? Um, or if it's, like, if the shell is holding her back in a way... Is there a way for her to escape it and leave it behind? We don't 
quite know that yet. At least for the time being, it seems that she's sort of stuck there. But um, but we well, don't know yet if, if that'll continue to be true. And I don't, I don't want to paint this too strongly, but there is that sense of some part of Fred got implanted on her. Now, I don't mm-hmm. think we're, we should take this as like, oh, is this a stepping stone to getting the full Fred back? I don't think that's implied at all. But there is that idea, like, even of, like, sort of knowing, like, what were Fred's last words and, you mm-hmm. know, knowing, like, kind of reading into how she felt about Wesley and and also the idea of grief, which mm-hmm. she she observes Wesley experiencing and says it's a bad taste in her mouth. But you have to wonder, she doesn't say it. But you have to wonder if at the end, if she's not feeling some kind of grief, mm-hmm. and, which is a totally human yeah. thing. Yeah. And so if if that's the case, then how much is, you know, human emotion and limitation, you know, right. uh, affecting her? Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's kind of what they end up bonding over at the end is their shared you know, griefs. And she says, you know, my world is gone. And and he says, now you know how I feel. So, I mean, like, even if I would have liked a little more time, I definitely understand like the kind of connection that they have at the end of we've sort of both lost our entire worlds, you know, uh, unexpectedly. And there's something that we can relate to each other with that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Wesley now gets to teach her uh how to be good. How to be how to be human. Um Yeah. Yeah, a little um I don't know, my fair lady situation going on here. Um so, but and, before we talk about Wesley's goodness, though, yeah. like any, I, I don't know that there's much to say about Knox, but just wanted to kind of sure. mention him in case you had some thoughts. Um, well, he, he, he gets killed by the end of the episode. Um, Wesley's in all sorts of violent moods this week. Yeah, he's all um, vendetta. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, so... Yeah. I mean, and I think that kind of was a little, again, it's in the same episode where he's shooting Knox dead and stabbing Gunn to then kind of have him having a truce with Illyria in the space of the same episode. Again, it's like, I don't not buy any of those things, but maybe they were a little close together. Yes, but one he hits Illyria over the head with the heavy. No, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he tries to shoot her other times. Yes, like, no, like, and I'm not saying he doesn't. It's not like he immediately like just forgives her or whatever. Well, I just, I just wonder how much of that interaction is him recognizing the inevitability of yet another confrontation that's not going to go in his favor. Sure, sure. Um. No, and that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, 
yeah, Knox dies. Maybe yeah. that's all we need to say from him. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't have to be the end, but it kind of is for him. Um, um, yeah, and I mean, Illyria mourns her temple and, like, her army more than she, you know, she doesn't seem particularly attached to Knox necessarily. No, um, he was too short. He, yeah, her last Quahasan or whatever was taller. Um yeah, she's a little, he's a little underwhelming uh, in the, uh, you know, devoted uh, priest department. Aren't you a little short for a class? <laughs> um, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, in the end, is kind of your standard devoted acolyte. And um, that's sort of the end of what we see of him. Um, yeah, Wesley just sort of, in the middle of Angel's... Uh, mercy speech you know about yes i'll defend humans even the crappy ones um you know there's wesley and with his sort of what he thinks about mercy at this moment um were you even listening uh yeah yeah and so wesley also (laughs) um you know, gets his revenge on Gunn, but, like, in a nice way. You know, he misses the <laughs> the major organs and arteries. Um, he just, right. like, had to, like, make... He his... won't die, probably. Yeah, he had he had a point to make, you know? He just had to kind of let him know how he felt. He wasn't trying to kill him, necessarily. Um, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I'm going to stab you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess since... Gunn isn't dead. We have to take Wesley at his word that he deliberately didn't try to kill him. It, it, um, you know, I don't know that I would put it past Wesley to actually kill him. So I guess I will believe that it. he knows how to kill Gunn if you wanted to kill Gunn. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the case. This is, this is, uh... Mr. I had my throat slit and all my friends abandoned. Yeah. Yes. Um, he remembers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, it's, he doesn't stab gun in the throat, but there's kind of something poetic about like the fact that it's like another stabbing. Um, you know, there's like a moment of payback there for on multiple levels, not just for Fred, but kind of for all the backstabbings that, you know, and the ways that Wesley's felt betrayed over the years. Um, yeah, and I don't, you know, Gunn kind of accepts it, you know? I, I think he, whether or not he thinks he deserved what Wesley did, he at least has a feeling, like, a strong feeling of responsibility. Um, Sure. You know, and ends up kind of breaking down with harmony. Um, Yeah, this is not a good week for Gunn. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I shared um, uh, a song from the most recent Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is all... Saw that you shared it. I haven't watched the 
any of the new season yet, so I haven't seen that. But yeah. so it's a it's a song all about why you shouldn't be a lawyer, and it's like how it's a soul sucking profession and and way to destroy your life. And I thought, you know, this is really Gunn's theme song this season. It seems, <laughs> <laughs> seems like, reasonable. There's yeah, no sure. quicker way to destroy your you know every aspect of your life and your soul. And um, I think that is sort of the what the conclusion that Gunn is coming to. Um, so yeah. Um, yep. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I mean, yeah. Gun is recovering, so Mm -hmm. there's not much to, not much else to say, I guess. Yep. Um, well, the main other thing I wanted to make sure to mention is, uh, Spike's decision to stay. Um, you know, you pointed out that Fred was sort of the center of the group for all of them individually in different ways. And, you know, I mean, Spike obviously wants to stay to kind of help try to revive her if they can. But, um, but like, it's kind of notable that even after they realize she's actually gone, he sort of still has this sense of, mission and responsibility um and things are going to get ugly that's where i live so yeah Yeah. send somebody else doesn't like angel oh no yeah they're never gonna yeah they're never gonna be buddies but um yeah what i find interesting too is i think this is like the first time at least in in angel i mean i guess maybe maybe we could see examples in Buffy but this is the first time that Spike stays like positive for a positive reason mm-hmm. I don't mean positive like good I mean positive for like an active yeah. reason you know like yeah. like he's not just trying to like piss off Angel or like he can't leave because every time he tries to leave he just finds himself back there you know like when he was a ghost or whatever yeah no it's like it's a constructive decision yeah it's the first time where he's actively saying i want to be here and here's the reason why yeah um for whatever reason that is it's not just to annoy people it's not just whatever it's not because he's afraid to go somewhere else which you kind of got that question about like well why don't you go to europe and see buffy Mm -hmm. and he sort of considers it and is like well no i don't i'm i like because his whole thing there was right um like you know oh i you know you see me go out in a blaze of fire and then like suddenly i'm there again like that yeah sort of destroys the mystique Mm -hmm. of spike so like all you know, he's sort of stated all those reasons in the past, and this is the first like active reason yeah. for him yeah. to actually want to stay and help out. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not because he likes Angel, but because mm-hmm. he wants to actually take part in yeah. the good that he thinks they're doing. And um, but even though he kind of clarifies, it's not that he likes Angel. They are they they get along better when they have that common cause, like. Sure. When they're kind of both working towards the same goal and feel the same way about something, you know, in this case, the loss of Fred, I think like, yeah, they're distracted, but also it's like they, they don't seem to be focusing so much on the things that they hate about each other. 
um, you know, there's kind of a softening of the relationship a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're finishing a little early. Is there any other big points that <laughs> I missed out on? No, I think, I mean, not that this is an entirely straightforward episode, but I, I do think that like, yeah, like now, like we're here, like this is the two part, you know, the second half of the two parter, right? Of mm -hmm. um, whatever. I mean, there's also like, what, a five minute montage at the end of just like the the acoustic, uh, you know, overlay of like the, what's the, oh, man, I looked up like what the TV trope is, is like the, you know, oh, they're really dead or something like that. Like, this is like, the thing that shows you like Fred really isn't coming back and it's yeah, kind of yeah. all the individual people, but then, you know, Fred at the end, you know, driving off, um, which is the, from the flashback of the last episode, right. Right. It's like her leaving home to come to LA. Mm -hmm. Um, and right. You know, of course that means the road to her death really right like right. i mean that's the right symbolic. you get the kind of cap on the end of it yeah that kind of lets you know all right we're ending this story yeah um so there's also that <laughs> like i don't there's not much to say about that montage other than it's there mm -hmm. um and there's a perfectly fine little acoustic folk indie song mm -hmm. <laughs> you know playing over all the pictures right as sad as folk it, music yeah yeah happens um yeah so uh yeah i mean we're there like fred's gone and Illyria's here and i guess it'll be interesting to see like how like because i mean wesley's agreed to help her but none of the others know that she's mm -hmm. like right there so like how does this work exactly <laughs> like does he just go knock on angel's door and say hey by the way i patched things up with Illyria. she's going to be hanging around a while or is this another example of wesley right going, going off away going rogue from the yeah yeah right and at like 20 minutes after angel slammed him against the wall and was like stop stabbing people now it's like hey like here's here's our new friend Illyria. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how the group reacts to his new idea. And that said, I think it's okay we end a few minutes early because we've certainly gotten long plenty of other times. Um, so, yeah. Sounds, Sounds good. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, both excited to come back and talk about some more of uh, the fades and the next uh angel episode um i uh, one little teaser we'll get yet another cast member from firefly mm. in the next episode i won't say who or in what capacity but uh yeah <laughs> the uh the the firefly diaspora continues <laughs> <laughs> yeah actors right. in need of work um <laughs> for sure always cool all right. Sounds good. See you then. Mm -hmm.